Well, again, good morning. So good to be with all of you. And I want to give a special welcome to our Gilmer Campus family. Uh, I am so excited to get to be with you guys, albeit not in person, uh, but on the screen. And for those of you that are tuned in and watching online, uh, welcome to worship at New Beginnings Baptist Church. My name is Connor Bales, and I am so thrilled to get to come home and, get, and be back with all of you here today. It is a wonderful day for me and my family to get to celebrate with you and our spiritual family here, and it is truly an honor to be able to celebrate and honor your pastor and my best friend, Todd Connitz. Uh, I am just thrilled to get to be back uh, here with you today. And I, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Acts chapter 9, the New Testament book of Acts chapter 9, because I want to visit with you today about something I think God laid on my heart in these last several weeks. And it's really the idea of what might be a missing ingredient in the life of many followers of Jesus Christ, and in particular, a missing ingredient in his church. And again, you understand the, the significance of ingredients. And I'm not talking about like a, a secret ingredient, meaning something that nobody knows or isn't necessarily shared. I'm speaking of a missing ingredient. And ingredients matter. Just a, a few weeks ago, my son Coleman uh, wanted to make a snack. And so he got a cup of Easy Mac and he ripped the lid off and shoved it in the mic and pressed the button. And not long after that, it actually caught fire because Coleman forgot to add the ingredient of water to his Easy Mac. Now, listen, I'm not saying he's smart. I'm just saying he's mine and I love him. Okay. But ingredients truly uh, matter. And for the life of a Christ follower and for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to reach her redemptive potential, we can't afford to miss a key ingredient that God lays out for us in his word. But I would argue my experience tells me that while it not, isn't necessarily a secret, I think, in fact, it is far too often lost. And I want to show you what I think that ingredient is so that some of us might, for the first time, capture that ingredient or others of us recapture that as we learn to make Jesus the most significant thing in our life. We're in Acts chapter 9, and I want to show you, starting in verse number uh, 31, what this ingredient for the church actually is. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 31. If you're there, say, I got it. Here we go. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, watch this, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. If you mark or highlight in your Bibles, that's your phrase. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, here's a church that is fulfilling its redemptive potential. Here is a church that is meeting exactly the expectation that Jesus Christ has set. It's a church that's unified. The Bible says they enjoyed peace. This is a church that is collectively and corporately unified. They are together. And not only are they unified, but this is a church that is being edified. They're being built up. They're growing in their spiritual health. They're uh, walking in a greater development and appreciation and affection for God's truth. And the Bible says the proof is in the pudding that they're multiplied, that they are growing, that God has his hand on this people and the spirit of God is alive and well. And what does the Bible say the ingredient is? They were walking 
in a fear of the Lord. Now listen, family, this is not a secret sauce. Like we all know that person who makes really good brownies or that person who makes really good muffins or they know how to make this dessert or that dish and they refuse to share the recipe, right? We all hate that person. They think they're Confucius in the kitchen. Something's wrong with them. But listen, I'm not talking about like a secret sauce that nobody knows or people won't share. I'm talking about a missing ingredient in the church. That the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, just might be missing from far too many of us who have declared Christ as our king. And the Bible says this is how the church was unified, edified, and then they multiplied as a result. Listen to what uh, 18th century theologian A.W. Tozier said when he spoke about the absence of the fear of the Lord. He said, the self-assurance of modern Christians, the basic levity present in so many of our religious gatherings... The shocking disrespect shown for the person of God are evidence enough of a deep blindness of heart. Many call themselves by the name of Christ, talk much about God, and pray to him sometimes, but evidently do not know who he is. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, but this healing fear is today hardly found among Christian men. Again, I I just want you, as we start our conversation this morning, to ask yourself this question. Do I think that this is a secret sauce that might be unknown in what it looks like for a Christ follower to walk in power? Or for me, would it be said that it's just simply, currently, a missing ingredient that I need to reclaim? So this morning, I want to do three things. I want us to first define our terms. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, right, we need to understand what the Bible would say about what is a fear of the Lord. What does it look like to fear God or to be a God-fearing Christ follower? And then the second thing I want us to do is I want us to see, is there a biblical mandate? Is there a, a biblical directive or imperative for us so that we might know if it is, in fact, demanded for a follower of Jesus Christ to fear God? And then lastly, well, let's describe what that looks like. Surely the Bible would give us some evidence of what it looks like for a person to walk in a fear of the Lord. But the first thing's first, let's define our terms. When we define the fear of the Lord, theologian John Murray would help us, and he says, the fear of God is the fear which constrains, watch this, adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these on the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. Now, I got to tell you, I think this is a bit confusing because what it seems like we are seeing described here as it refers to the fear of God is a tension between a holy terror and a reverent awe. So it's the idea that we see God as holy, that he is to be rightly feared, that there is almost a terror associated with the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God. And we hold that intention with what the Bible would say is a reverent adoration, an affection, an understanding that has a devotion and allegiance attributed and assigned to him. Again, Pastor David Jeremiah helps us and he explains these two as awesome dread, that's the holy terror, and an astonished devotion, that's the reverent awe. An awesome dread and an an astonished devotion. Uh, Some of you might remember the military campaign in 2003 
when the United States invaded Iraq and uh, overthrew the Iraqi government and its leader, Saddam Hussein. And as that military campaign began, it had a title. It started as an air campaign. And that title for that campaign was called Shock and Awe. And we would stay up late at night, every night, watching CNN. And you could see uh, visuals of the bombing raids and the attacks. And the idea was that the United States was attempting and its allies to, draw, to drive so much fear through this awesome display of power that it would yield a terror, a, a holy, reverent respect that would yield submission and surrender from the Iraqi military and its leader. Well, David Jeremiah says that this is a similar understanding to what it looks like to walk in a fear of the Lord. That there is this awesome dread. We see God as holy, and there's this astonished devotion that we then have a right dedication and devotion and allegiance to him. This is a helpful way for me to see this. So let's talk about awesome dread. This is the understanding that a fear of the Lord should include a profound measure of terror. I'll give you a good example of what this might look like. If you remember the garden account of Adam and Eve, right? The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God before sin had ever entered into the cosmos, that they, uh, the, the Bible would say that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In other words, there was this relationship, this fellowship that existed prior to the introduction of sin that didn't seem out of place. It didn't seem unordinary. It was good and right as God had designed. There was a fellowship between God as creator and Adam and Eve as his creation, but when sin shows up, the Bible says that Adam hid himself. And so all of a sudden, there was this understanding that he feared God. He went from fellowship to fear. Why? Because Adam came to a quick and immediate realization that there was an, a difference between the holiness and purity and righteousness of God and the sinfulness and the unrighteousness of man. And it led to a holy terror. It led to an awesome dread. And listen, anyone who is in rebellion, anyone who is far from God, anyone who is in open and rebellious sin toward God, they have lost an understanding of what it means to fear him. This is what Paul means when he writes to the Roman church. In Romans chapter 3, verse 18, he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. So when a person is in rebellion when we are walking in unrighteousness, when we are choosing to go our own way instead of following the Lord and being obedient to his, we've lost a fear of him. There's no holy terror. There's no awestruck wonder. And yield that in contradiction then to a person who rightly sees God for who he is and themselves for who then they are as well. The Bible's full of these examples. In fact, the Bible would say that when Abraham had his encounter with God, according to Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, he fell on his face. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, when Moses had his conversation with God, he hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. In Joshua chapter 24, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says that he fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped God. Do you remember Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter six? He describes himself when he encounters the holiness of God as being undone with his understanding of himself instead. In Ezekiel chapter one, verse 28, the Bible says Ezekiel fell on his face. When Simon Peter came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says he fell down at his feet at Jesus' knees 
And he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John had this holy moment where they got to see the glory of God unveiled just for a moment. And the Bible says they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid, Matthew 17, verse 6. When Saul, who was persecuting the church, came in contact and Jesus called him out in his sin, the Bible says that he fell to the ground and he was blinded. When John received his revelation on the island of Patmos, Jesus shows up, starts telling John how things are gonna be. The Bible says John fell at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. It yielded a physical response to come into a right understanding with the holiness and reverence of God. And yet, I think the problem is, for far too many of us, we see God as common. We've dumbed him down. The reason we take his name in vain is because we see him like we see ourselves. But he is altogether different, family. He's holy, and he's good, and he's righteous, and he's eternal. And when we come to a good and right understanding of that, we ought to see ourselves in contradiction to it. This is why Isaiah would say in chapter 8, verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. I can tell you the six scariest words I heard as a kid when I was growing up. If I, let's say I got in an argument or was fighting with my brothers or had been disrespectful to my mom or my uh, dad, my mom would say this during the day, wait till your father gets home, Right? And so immediately you're all bound up and you're nervous because there's this holy fear that you have of dad and the discipline that is to come when he gets home. And so you're praying like, I hope mom is sweet to him when he walks in the door. Maybe she'll forget and she'll start, uh, something will happen. Then you start trying to work with your brothers about you know, things you could do to maybe soften the blow or whatever it's gonna be, right? Because you have a holy terror, this fear of who your dad is. Well, the Bible says that that's awesome dread and it is to be held in tension, works in concert with an astonished devotion. So not only do we fear God for who he is, but we fear God because of all that he has done. It's a fear of reverence, honor, and devotion. Again, Pastor A.W. Tozier said this, I believe that the reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most satisfying emotion the human soul can know. This means we fear God for who he is. You realize he has no rival. He has no equal. The reason why we would never want to say Jesus is my homeboy, even though there was a season where it was popular to do so, it's because he's not your homeboy. He's your creator and your sustainer and your savior. And he's altogether different than you and me. He's holy. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 86, when it speaks about who God is in verses five through seven, it says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. We fear God and have this astonished devotion and affection for him because of who he is. He's altogether different from us. And, he, and because of what he's done. Like the Bible would say, in Psalm 33, verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made 
and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Well, if I am lucky, my kids will clean their room by the word of my mouth. God made everything by the word of his. Altogether different. But, but listen, not just different in what he's done around you, but different because of what he's doing in you. The apostle Paul would write to the church in Philippi and he would say that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Awesome dread, holy terror, but also an astonished devotion. I can remember when I was growing up, my dad would take me deer hunting and we'd get up early in the morning and we'd walk out into the woods and it'd be dark. And uh, I was scared. And the same man that my mom had said, wait till he gets home, that I was fearful of. When it was dark and it was scary and we were walking in the woods by ourselves, I was squeezing his hand as tightly as I could and clinging to his side as closely as I could. It was an awesome dread, but an absolute astonished devotion because I knew that he loved me. This is what it means to have a right fear of the Lord, that you would see he's altogether different and that there would be a holy terror, a right understanding of his holiness in compared to our unrighteousness. But then also in addition to that, that we would have this astonished devotion, this wholehearted affection, this allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ where we would squeeze tightly and walk closely knowing that he loves us, the greatest evidence being that he sent his son for us. And so we would have a right fear of him. This is what it means to define the fear of the Lord. But listen, I wonder if the Bible would help us and see, is it demanded? Is there an expectation for the follower of Jesus Christ to fear God? What does it mean for you and I to, to come to this realization? Is there an imperative? Is the onus on us as the follower of Jesus Christ, is it demanded that we fear God? Well, you know, in, in life, oftentimes you will uh, uh, find out what a person stood for, what was significant and meaningful in their life at the end of it. As they're getting near the end of their life, especially if they have a right recognition that it's the end of their life, you can hear what is often coined as deathbed confessions. Deathbed confessions are just the opportunity that a person has prior to their uh, dying and, and moving to eternity where they can uh, share with you the things of significance and impart wisdom about the things which they think matter the most. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest man who ever lived, a man named King Solomon, that his deathbed confessions were captured in chapter 12 and verse 13. And the Bible says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Like, don't you think it's fascinating? The richest man, wisest man, the most uh, uh, well-experienced, well-versed man who's ever lived. And he doesn't say, would you bring me an accounting of my money? And he doesn't say, would you bring me a map of our kingdom? And he doesn't say, would you bring me a picture of the palace? Would you let me count the size of my harem? He says, fear God, because at the end, that's all that matters. How about Moses? 
Moses gets to the end of his life. This is a man who knows he's not going to enter into the promised land. He's not going to get to lead God's people into the next season and chapter of their life. And so he gathers the people together, and he's able to give them parting instruction, final wisdom, last rites, and this is what he chooses to say, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 12 through 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of the law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. You see, the Bible's clear. And these heroes of the faith, over and over and over again, this is demanded. It's what matters the most. It's the opportunity that you and I have to truly walk in closeness to Christ when we fear him, when, when we fear God. And listen, I don't think this is a secret sauce, but it's been my experience that far too often it is a lost ingredient. I think so many ministries run powerless. So many people run powerless, lead powerless lives because there is an absence of the fear of God. We talk about God casually, approach worship with God haphazardly. So as Zeke and his team and Zach and his team usher us into the presence of God, it's obligatory for us to put our hands up. It's obligatory for us to sing when in reality, with a right fear of God, it ought to be the natural byproduct that comes from us. This is what it is to be defined and this is what it is to see demanded. But I wonder what it looks like when it's described. So I'm gonna ask you to turn to the left. We've been in the book of Acts, but turn to the left to the book of Proverbs. To the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament because I wanna show you what the Proverbs tell us over 18 times in this book of wisdom alone. In Proverbs chapter one and verse seven, there is a phrase that is uttered throughout the book of Proverbs more than 18 times. It can also be found in chapter two, verse five, chapter three, verse seven, chapter nine, verse 10, chapter 15, verse 33. And this is what the Bible would say in Proverbs chapter one and verse seven. Again, a book written by King Solomon and written to his kids at the end of his Life And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. If you mark or highlight in your Bibles, I want you to circle that phrase, beginning. It is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so as we think about what does the fear of the Lord look like described in the life of a Christ follower? What does the fear of the Lord look like described in the church of Jesus Christ? The first thing we see is that it forms our wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It forms, it initiates our wisdom. Everybody knows the significance of a, a firm foundation. That if a building isn't constructed on a firm foundation, if 
the concrete is not steady and sure, if the engineering doesn't have the right amount of steel and rebar and piers anchored deep into the soil, that the building itself will not stand. It's why Jesus is the cornerstone of the church and the entire church is founded and built and blessed because of his person and work. He's the cornerstone. The foundation always matters. And the Bible says that for the life of a follower of Jesus Christ and those of us who make his church known, that the foundation of wisdom The formation of wisdom, the initiation of wisdom comes when we fear God. It starts here. Uh, Old Testament scholar, a man named Tremper Longman, references the wisdom of God that's found in the fear of the Lord when he says, one properly fears Yahweh because he is the most powerful being in the universe. Only fools would not be afraid of a being who has the power of life and death over them. Such persons do not understand their place in the cosmos and thus do not know how to act in the world. All other wisdom builds on this point and there is no wisdom without it. You recognize that even in our best effort, harnessing our greatest gifting, if we are attempting to exercise wisdom operating without a right fear of God, we are left to our own devices and will suffer the consequences as a result. And listen, has there ever been a time in our culture when we've needed wisdom more than today? Would you agree with that? That we are a people, this is a culture populated, permeated with an absence of wisdom. I spoke to my church family back home last weekend about this very thing. And I referenced this and illustrated it by highlighting just some of the dumbest tweets that have been shared on social media in 2020. Here's a few of my favorites. One gentleman tweeted out just a few months ago and he said, my sister is pregnant. I can't wait to find out if I'm gonna be an aunt or an uncle. That's not how that works. Another girl tweeted out and she said, uh, uh, she posted a picture of herself in uh, downtown New York City. She was standing at Times Square and she said, goodbye America, hello New York City. Come on, like you can't, one guy tweeted and he said, uh, Obama was scared of Trump. He didn't wanna go up against him in another election. That's why he had to retire. That's not how that works either. Like like seriously, you recognize that's a problem. One girl tweeted out and she said, my friend took four pregnancy tests. They all came back positive. Now she's wondering how she's going to afford four kids. We need wisdom, church. We need wisdom. The Bible says that walking in a fear of the Lord is its foundation. And so I don't know, like for how I'm gonna shepherd my family and shoulder the burden of being a good husband to Mary and a good dad to my five kids, how I'm going to shoulder the responsibility of leading a church in these days that are so uncertain. How am I gonna be a good friend to others, a reliable neighbor in my community, a trusted counselor for those that are suffering if I don't have a fear of the Lord. The Bible says it's the beginning. It's the foundation of all wisdom. A fear of the Lord forms our wisdom. But beyond that, not only does it form our wisdom, it frames our witness. 
It actually frames, it shapes, it holds our witness together. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This was a confused people. And Paul writes to him and he says, I want you to see what it looks like when you're walking in a fear of God because it's going to frame the witness that he has entrusted for you to have. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. You know, Paul says, listen, it's not my best effort. It's not my clever schemes. It's not my ability to make you laugh or to try to tell a compelling story. What's going to win people to Christ is when we rightly fear God. And so we persuade others, not because we're winsome or have a great sense of humor or a, a, a good communicator and can hold people's attention. Our witness is fueled, it's framed, it's formed by our fear of God. Paul would go further and he says, not only is it in your speech, but it's also in your deeds, it's in your actions. In chapter seven of the same book, he says this in verse one, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So not only in our speech, but in our actions, that our integrity, our purity, our holiness, our righteousness are directly linked to our fear of God. Do you, some of you are old enough to probably remember when people would have been described as a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. Some of you are old enough to remember when somebody is a good God-fearing man. She is a good God-fearing gal. We don't use that anymore. It's lost language because it doesn't carry its significance. Because we misunderstand the ingredient of the fear of the Lord. But I, I really believe that our witness is directly linked to our fear of God. And this is why it's so easy for me today to be able to honor your pastor, Todd. Because I've had the privilege of seeing the guy not on the stage and with the lights and cameras turned on, but I've seen him off the stage. I've seen him in his living room. I've seen him in the hospital room. I've seen him in the office in the moments where many of you have not. And here's what I can tell you, that when he closes the door after he's counseled with you in a season of suffering or hardship or the discovery of sin, did you know that he weeps for you? I've, I've seen him when he's officiated the funeral and he's held it together just long enough to be able to honor the family and the life that is laid to rest. But did you know when he walks off the stage, he's broken hearted and grieving for you? I've watched him as he's walked couple after couple through premarital counseling and helping them to see that marriage will be measured not on their first day, but on their last. And Todd, with integrity, and righteousness and purity. And this is why I believe God has his hand upon this church is because Todd Connitz walks in a fear of the Lord and his witness is the result of it. So not only does it form our wisdom and frame our witness, but lastly, maybe most importantly, it fuels our worship. I think worship is the natural byproduct of a person who fears God. I don't know what else you would do but when you rightly see God for who he is and then you recognize that he met you where you are, then it should drive us to worship him in response 
to that. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Watch this, with reverence and awe. Do you see it? Holy terror and awestruck wonder. Fear. And the Bible says, for our God is a consuming fire. Here's what I, I like about this passage in the book of Hebrews is, I think I've shared with you guys before that uh, I like a fire in the fireplace. So when it's 60 degrees, that's the threshold and we'll fire up the fireplace. I like a fire pit outside. I like a fireplace at home. I just, I like a fire in the house. And, um, and sometimes, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but when you're outside at a campfire, you can be sitting there and, and having conversation and then there'll be a lull and, and, uh, and you'll just start staring into the fire. And the flames, as their movement and the change in color, it will mesmerize you, captivate you. You'll be totally drawn in. And you can look up and you think, where did the time go? How long have I been sitting here? What have I been thinking about? Because you're truly just captivated by the fire. But if you fall asleep and fall in, that same fire that captivated you will consume you. And so it is with God. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what it means to understand the fear of the Lord, that God would so captivate us and mesmerize us that we would have no choice but to have this awesome dread, this holy terror. God, we see you for who you are. And this astonished devotion, God, we can't believe that you met us where we were. I'm devoted to you, so I can't wait. I'm nervous about when God comes home, but at the same time, I'm clinging tightly as I walk through the woods in the dark. I'm holding in tension what it means to have an awesome dread and an astonished devotion. I'm captivated, I'm mesmerized, but I understand that in absence of the fear of the Lord, God will consume me because he's holy and I'm not. And so I wonder, family, this question. Not is this a secret sauce that isn't known or isn't shared, but is it possible for some of you here today, some of you watching online, my brothers and sisters on the Gilmer campus, that this just might be a missing ingredient? Some of you are walking in an absence of power. The last thing you're experiencing is the unification and the edification and your growth. But maybe it's because there's just an ingredient that's gone. There's just an ingredient in your life that is missing. And so maybe today is the day for some of you that you discover what it means to fear God and you choose to give your life and your faith to him. And others of you, today is the day that you just recapture what God has died so that you might know and enjoy. You reclaim that ingredient that's been gone for too long. And so whatever it is for you today, and whatever God is speaking to your heart, I wanna encourage you, don't leave the same way you walked in. Allow this word to do its work in your heart and in your life. And here's how you can do that. If you are online, you can just comment there in the comments section and say, I'd like to talk to someone on the staff. I don't understand what this guy's been yelling about, but I wanna hear more. It, whatever it is, you, you can just let us know and, and our staff would love to follow up with you. 
on the Gilmer campus, you can just text, just like here in Longview, uh, NBBC to 313131. And the only thing you are committing to when you text us, NBBC, at 313131 is that you are inviting someone from this staff to have a spiritual conversation with you about what God is speaking to your heart. So maybe today is the day for some when this ingredient is discovered. But maybe for others, today is the day when the ingredient gets reclaimed. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It forms it. It frames our witness. We can't do anything significant without it. And it fuels our worship because God is a captivating fire who consumes us when there's an absence of fear of him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for who you are, God, and all that you have done. Thank you for this family of faith. I'm so grateful for New Beginnings Baptist Church and its witness here in East Texas and around the world. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Pastor Todd Connitz and Adrian and their incredible family. And I believe, God, that the best days are still ahead for this man and this ministry. And God, forgive us of the areas of our life that are not fully surrendered to you. We want to be more like you. We thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. The Bible says we need not fear nor be dismayed. We love you. We can't do anything good without you. We are desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray to you, amen.